Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. We all are hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. So emotional eating is on the low end and food addictions on the high end of the spectrum. And, um, and basically, uh, you know, I was totally a food addict. But the point is that when you're on the higher end of the spectrum, which I think most people, as far as I can tell in my experience, which is decades now, um, anybody who struggles chronically with food and weight is on the high end of that spectrum. They're likely close to food addiction, if not a food addict. Hey, what is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Now, I do apologize in advance. It's probably not even going to be noticeable to most of you, but I'm a perfectionist with the podcasts. There was a slight little bit of a problem with the audio because Trisha's podcast didn't fully upload. Long story short, we use a platform that kind of uploads directly from each of our individual computers and we logged off a little too early. So she had to go back on and re-upload. I did what I could and I edited it properly. I don't think that it should be an issue until like maybe the very end. And it's simple stuff. It's basically us just talking over each other for all of one to one and a half seconds. No big deal. And I definitely don't want that to take away from the conversation that we had because the conversation was awesome. It is about emotional eating and believe it or not, I'm someone who is kind of realizing more and more that I'm at least somewhat subject to this and I don't think I've recognized it as much, especially because I'm not someone who gains weight as easily. So there aren't as many obvious consequences when I eat excessive amounts of food, even if they are quote unquote health foods, right? So I will not spoil anything. We get into all of that in this podcast, but I do want to tell you a little bit about Trisha really quick. She lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. Trisha has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the food addiction. Trisha is an emotional eating expert and author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple steps to end emotional eating now. She is also the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show. Trisha is a TEDx speaker, a highly regarded coach, and has been featured on The List, NBC, CBS, KTLA, Fox, and Discovery Health. I feel like I have a little bit of a rasp in my voice. I've been doing a lot of talking lately. (laughs) So don't worry, (laughs) Detective Ev is good. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right, Trisha, welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great, Evan. This is a interesting topic for me, and I was talking a little bit about this off air, but I never said specifically what it was. And I, I hate that there's a stereotype with the topic of emotional eating because there's a stereotype that it's something that mostly like women deal with. And that's a male-induced stereotype because we're the ones that don't want to talk about this, right? Um, I think that's <laughs> that's silly. And then you add the additional stereotype is it's something that most people would deal with if they were emotionally eating, um, such as yourself. You know, you get that weight gain for a time. Well, then there's people like me, younger male. I could eat whatever I want and I don't gain weight, but I do get sick. And so there's still consequences to be paid. Mm-hmm. Um, but emotional eating is something I never really would have looked at until the last year. So I'm super excited to talk to you about this. Um, and of course, with the Health Detective podcast, one of the whole points is just discovering the ways that people kind of became their own detectives and maybe had to go away from the mainstream narrative to figure out their own stuff. So my favorite question is always our first one. And that's just when did these health symptoms start? I don't know if there was anything more than the um, emotional eating, but even if that's it, that's fine. Like, when did this begin for you? Yeah, well, in hindsight, I think from way back when, and I mean way back when, because I'm not a spring chicken. <laughs> so, um, so really, I think as far back as I can remember, like age three or four, um, and uh, but I started to really be concerned, and and I mean, honestly. Throughout my whole childhood, I had issues with my weight. But when I look back at photos, I'm like, yeah, but I wasn't fat. But as a kid, even, I had what I call fat head, which is that you you think you're fat. You okay. know, you think you're fat and you're tortured by your weight, even if you're not 
obey, uh, overweight at all. So that was the truth for me. But um, in adolescence, I did start to gain weight. And by age 21, I was 50 pounds overweight. Mm -hmm. So I definitely had a weight problem um, by then. And uh, and I'd already gone through many diets, many exercise programs, pills and potions and lotions. I was really at it, trying to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, I could lose weight for a time, but I always put the weight back sure. on. So, like, I'd be – I was a yo-yo dieter, so I'd be up 30, down 20, up 10. And I had, like, five different sizes of pants in my closet because I never knew what size I'd be. So I always – you know, you always hold out hope for the skinny jeans, right? So um, that was where I was hoping I'd get to. But I could be there, like, for uh, a hot second, and then I'd be back up the scale and – um, which is, you know, typical for anybody dieting, 90% of all diets fail. So, um, that was my experience. So, but it was very frustrating and I hated being fat. I had a roll in my tummy that I would scrunch up in my hands and imagine cutting off. Like you cut fat off the side of the steak. Um, I imagine getting some disease where I'd automatically lose weight without having a diet. And I even thought about joining the army where I'd be forced to exercise at boot camp because I wasn't, I hated it. I mean, when I was in binge mode, I hated to exercise. You know, it just was, I would just exercise to get, you know, try to, um, you know, sort of offset what I'd just been doing to myself. But you can't, I mean, I was never able to exercise as much as I ate, you know, because when I was eating, I was eating high calorie foods. So, but that was kind of the roller coaster ride and the torture I was putting myself under. And, um, you know, at some point, I just was like, man, I can't keep doing this. Like, this is so frustrating. I'm not getting anywhere and I'm trying really hard. And I'd done like not just diets, but I'd done, you know, read self-help books. I'd been at 12-step programs, therapy. I went to an eating disorders therapist for a year, literally twice a week. So I was seriously going at it from all angles. But at the end of the day, you know, when I'm sitting there looking at cookies, I couldn't say no. <laughs> so yeah. so that's kind of how it went for me. So it does go way, way back. And the work that I do with Heal Your Hunger comes directly from my intimate knowledge of what it's like to struggle with food and weight and to feel so demoralized by that struggle. I, yeah, this is so important because especially with what we're doing at FDN Thrive, you know, some people can come in and they're, I mean, they have health challenges, right? Like chronic disease, whatever. And so they might be recommended to make certain dietary changes. Some people, no problem. Come in, it's, don't even think twice about it, right? And then others, they can take the supplements. They'll spend thousands on lab tests elsewhere and then come here and be like, all right, cool, I'm going to try this too. And yet that's the one thing that they can't do. It's like we have the path and it's hard. And I, I get this. Um, and I don't I don't think I realized how much I got it until the last couple of years. Because, you know, when I was a kid, I would eat excessive amounts of sugar. Exce- you know, I mean, you know those Hershey nuggets with the almonds in them? Yep. I used to eat an entire bag of those. It's disgusting. I mean, this is like I get it. I used to yeah. eat. I used to eat a bag of Hershey's Kisses. <laughs> I didn't. I think I'm a little older than you, so we didn't have the nugget ones okay. till a little later. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, it's just like you can eat these insane amounts of food, and then I got into FDN. I never really had a problem initially changing my diet around, and it was all good. And then I'm like looking back because I'm working with someone that does um, neuro linguistic programming right now, and they're going back and tracing the thing. They're like, "Well, you did." have these good habits and then the pandemic started right and i guess that was kind of this emotional trigger for me where i know already that i think many people relate to this i greatly underplayed the stress that the state of the world was causing me in the beginning and i went from this guy who for you know a couple years perfect i had severe severe cystic acne at one point all cleared up never even get a breakout not like it's a big deal now but still I'm, i'm getting these things again here and there and I look at I'm like, what happened? Because at some point during day one of the pandemic and like day like 45, roughly, I went back to like the binge eating of like eating an entire bag of granola where it's like 2000 calories because it's like this paleo granola or allowing sugar in occasionally where I, you know, I was someone I, I liked your one title that we'll talk about today, the I quit sugar thing, because I, I thought I quit this. I thought I was done with this and it lasted for years. And so what I'm getting at here with this is you had said that you did this yo-yo dieting thing and you would get you know, 30 pounds down sometimes and then go back up. Why do you think some people have the ability at any time to do that? Because you're not doing that in a day. I'm sure that took weeks, if not months. So something's going right for a relatively fair period of time. Why does that happen? Because that's such a common story, right? Where people can do something in the right direction. They can clear their skin up in my case, or they can get the weight down and then it comes back. So what happens there? 
Well, I think that it's really hard for somebody who has disordered eating or binge eating or some kind of, you know, history with chronic dieting. It's hard for these people, in my experience, me being one of them, it's hard to be cured. Okay. And which might be depressing for somebody to hear. I'm not cured. You know, I've been living in a thin body for 30 years. Um, I have freedom around food that's uh, quite frankly, some days I'm, I'm in awe of. I'm in awe of how normal I seem. But it's not lost on me that were I to stop doing the things I do that I teach others to do as yeah. part of my step-by-step system to heal, uh, which I've, you know, I've really nailed it. Like I've nailed this system for how to overcome emotional eating. But I am an emotional eater. And the thing about that is that if somebody's an emotional eater on the higher end of the spectrum, and we can talk about the spectrum in a yeah. bit, but if, I'm, if somebody's on the higher end of the spectrum, it doesn't get up and walk away on its own. You know, it does not get up and walk away on its own, which means it can come back and it can come back with a vengeance. I have lots of people say I was doing great until the pandemic hit, you know, (laughs) so it's very typical, you know, and and, uh, you know, the, the problem with an addictive habit is that, you know, once an addict, always an addict. Now, it doesn't mean you're eating addictively. It just means that it can come back, which means you want to have a healthy respect for it and you want to keep doing the things that you did to get that health, you know, and the the tendency for us is I'm good now. I'm going to go eat whatever I want. Like I'm at the weight I want. But of course, then we put the weight back on as somebody is, I mean, you're very blessed to have a speedy metabolism. Mm -hmm. Most people don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and so you have to be vigilant and, but it's not vigilant around your like it's it's kind of a funky thing like i think so many people they you know they think that well let me put it this way i mean it's basically it it can come back but you can live in freedom okay so it's sort of like somebody who is diabetic like you can change your diet if you're type 2 you can change your diet and your exercise and you can stop being type 2 like you can get your numbers down and you can be diabetes free, but it can come back. Yeah. You know, it can't, if you stop doing the healthy things you're doing, if you start going back to the way you were eating before, it'll come back. So it's kind of like that as an emotional eater. So I live in freedom every day, but I'm not like, I, it, like I know that if I don't do the things I, I do to stay in freedom, it can come back. And that's true with an alcoholic. That's true with any kind of addict. So if you're, again, on the higher end of the spectrum of emotional eating or food addiction, you know, you have to be forever vigilant. Um, and, and, and I can, like, that's what I show people how to do. And, and it's not hard to do, but you can't act like, oh, I'm good now. Um, you have to always, you know, and it can also transmute itself. So let's say somebody has anorexia. Like a lot of times people go through this. The journey with food and your relationship with food is a journey. It's a good word for it. Because it takes many different forms. And so you can like be anorexic in your, uh, for instance, somebody's anorexic in their teens because they have a lot of control, a lot of restrictive control. And so they're anorexic, but then they lose that restrictive control. And so then they're overeating. And so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to purge to get rid of this food because I can no longer keep myself from binging. So they're binging, they're purging. So they're now bulimic. You know, and then that takes its toll. You know, they ruin their esophagus. I mean, they they ruin their teeth, the enamel on their teeth. You know, their their life is unmanageable. And so they're like, okay, stop the purging. But they're still binging. They still have this tortured relationship with food where they have to have it. So now they're just overeaters and they're gaining weight and they can't control it through purging or restricting. But to me, it's all the same. Okay, it's different faces of the same problem. Um, And to me, that's why I love the term emotional eating, because it's a good umbrella term for any kind of disordered eating. We have orthorexia. Orthorexia is when you're super hyper vigilant about what you put in your mouth. Similar to anorexia, it's just it's it's pseudo like it's it's pseudo healthy because you're like super you know like how many grams of fat are in something or you know about your ketones and then you know about you know it's like you get really 
dialed in with health or you're vegetarian or vegan or you got all the best recipes, vegan recipes or sugar-free this or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're still completely obsessed with food and weight, you know? And so it's got, that's another face of it. And to me, I want to be in freedom. I don't want to be restricting. I don't want, certainly don't want to be overeating and I don't want to be obsessed period because that's not freedom. And so it's just really important to know that emotional eating does, it is a journey. It takes many different forms and to heal, you have to go deeper than the symptom. Mm Like FDM, you know, so that's, that's really what we're talking about, but it's, it's tricky, it's insidious and it can come back with a vengeance. It was kind of my point when I started on this rant. No, 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 no. (laughs) that was so many great things to touch on. And I I liked, because I was going to ask you actually, because I didn't, I didn't know if this was uh, appropriate, but I like that you use the word addicting or addictive because that is how I look a lot of the, at a lot of this stuff, especially in the binging category, right? And it's it's so weird. I'm I'm like more of a spiritual guy. People on this podcast know that, and I feel like uh, almost like attracted this conversation in a sense because you're helping me already connect dots. Where I've been thinking lately, like I, I would have considered myself addicted to sugar like four or five years ago, but it's almost like you forget. Or worse yet, I think what I've done is come from a place of ignorance of like not considering it a real addiction, where this quite right. frankly might be of one of the realest addictions I've ever had. Um, and I've, I've been someone who's definitely been subject to that stuff. Again, people on this podcast know like history of substance abuse stuff. And here's what I wanted to bring up because I think this is where it's particularly tough because you said the person isn't going to be particularly or ever cured. And I do agree with this. If you're an alcoholic, no one in this world that's worth half their salt in like the world of addiction is going to say, well, listen, go have a drink every weekend, but just one. That's fine. No, yeah, you would just say, moderate. Right. Yeah. Moderate. <laughs> How are we supposed to stop eating food? And so, of course, you could say there's different categories, right? There's like your processed artificial sweeteners and high sugar foods versus other foods. I get that. But like we are still doing the action in every single way of consuming that food. And you can't give that up. You're not just going to live off fresh air and water. That's that's not going to happen. Um, and, and so I think that's why maybe even in my own life and, and obviously the people that you've seen, there is this constant balance because – I didn't think that this could ever come back. I didn't even realize how bad this was before. Because, yeah, for me, it's not – I never purge, but there's a, a binging thing of like, yeah, if I eat calories, I mean, I can down 2,000, 4,000 calories in a meal. Usually not on that higher end, thankfully, but like 2,000 is nothing for me. It's nothing. I'm a 170-pound guy, yeah. six feet tall. Just a joke. I can get that down and continue on with the day. Um, and I know I don't need that much in any given meal, right? So I don't know if you have any comments on that, but uh, regardless, I would love to hear about the spectrum too afterwards because you referenced that. Totally. Well, here's the thing. You know, it's um, it is an addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and I and it's the hardest of all addictions, in my opinion, because you have to eat. You can't just put the plug in the jug like an alcoholic can. You know, you have to eat, which means you have to take the tiger out of the cage three times a day try to pet the nice kitty and get it back inside the cage without getting your ass torn off you know and that's hard to do and all the more reason why you have to get under it you have to go deeper because just controlling the symptom will you know you'll run out of steam on that so to answer your question about the um about the spectrum it really is a spectrum where emotional eating is on the low end i think we all are hardwired to have an emotional connection with food so emotional eating is on the low end and food addictions on the high end of the spectrum. And, um, and basically, uh, you know, I was totally a food addict. And I do have a quiz on my website, which will tell somebody where they are on the spectrum. Okay. Um, literally, you'll get a personalized score. And it's a free quiz. It takes two minutes to take on my uh, website, healyourhunger.com. Got it. But the point is that when you're on the higher end of the spectrum, which I think most people, as far as I can tell in my experience, which is decades now, um, anybody who struggles chronically with food and weight is on the high end of that spectrum. They're likely close to food addiction, if not a food addict. And, you know, people get scared by the term addict. They really shouldn't. It just means that you have some of the classic signs of addiction, which is like you can't stop once you start, you know. And sure, that may not be true for a salad, but it's probably true for chips, you know, and dip and Hershey's Kisses or Hershey's Almond (laughs) Nuggets and you know, it might be true for other things like ice cream. I mean, I could never understand somebody taking a pint of ice cream out of their refrigerator 
taking some of it and putting it in a bowl. To me, that is a serving. The pint is a serving. Yeah, it's a miracle, <laughs> right? I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I always took the lid off and threw it away. Like that, we weren't going, you know, we're not using that lid again. So, um, so that's the thing is that we eat in volume, but not always. You know, we can we can be very controlled about things. But again, it's not just the eating of the food. It's the obsession. And that's another classic sign of addiction is does it take over your mind? You know, it's not just the allergy of the body. It's the obsession of the mind. And so um, that's a big thing. I am physically allergic to sugar, you know. And if I eat sugar, sugar's all I want to eat. You know, so I've had to be really careful about that. And it's easier for me to not eat sugar at all than to try to moderate my sugar intake. Um, Because it is, you know, sugar definitely is a physical, you know, uh, reaction. It's a physically addictive substance. And carbs, processed carbs, metabolize as sugar in our bodies, which is why carbs are hard to stop. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's definitely the physical, but there's the emotional as well. Um, And so the spectrum, basically, if you're on the high end of the spectrum, you have to do some drastic measures to to change your eating. Um, and so it's just really important. I think that's a good place to start is with that quiz so people okay. find out where they are. Um, but the good news is, is that wherever you are, it's all emotional eating. Like food addicts are definitely emotional eaters. Emotional eaters on the low end of the spectrum aren't necessarily food addicts. But I like the term emotional eating in general wherever you are on the spectrum because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with stuffing our emotions with food like that's what's going on and that's what needs to be healed do you think it's fair to say that the uh, there's obviously a physical dependency here to some degree i mean people get literal sugar withdrawals i've I've experienced myself um and that's what again it comes down to this underestimating it thing so hopefully people give themselves some grace when they're listening to this like there is real withdrawal symptoms and since we don't think about it like that most of us at least we might not even be realizing we're withdrawing right now you know if your buddy's withdrawing off a drug you give them a little break right you wouldn't expect them to go work 12 hours that day right you might show them some grace so show yourself the same thing with the sugar stuff but um what i wanted to ask is since there is this physical and emotional side do you think for some people the emotional side kind of triggers it and then eventually you're stuck as like this physical type of addiction right because i feel like that's what happened to me kind of yeah well it's true because if it were just a physical addiction you know do a detox, get sugar out of your system, you know, and, and in five days, you're good to go. Like you're good to go. But the problem is that we're, we're lured back because of the emotional addiction. Okay. And, or emotional dependence, whatever you want to call it, you know, and this is, I do, uh, 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 do something called the quit sugar challenge. And in my quit sugar challenge, I do mindset calls as well as the mechanics of quitting sugar, getting it out of your cupboards, knowing the 80 different names for sugars. So you can find it, you know, you can sleuth it out. So I cover everything in terms of quitting sugar, but the mindset calls are really what people love the most because that's what's that's what's really getting the best of them is like people say to me I don't know how to quit sugar like it's my best friend like this is how I get by this is what makes me happy you know and so it's that void that we have that we're using food to fill that has to be addressed alongside of getting clean yeah. from the physical addiction. Because if just doing that, I'll tell people, you can be with me for five days and quit sugar, but you'll be back to it, you know, in one, two, three, four weeks. First of all, sugar's everywhere. You know, everybody's pushing it. You know, it comes in really pretty packaging. Um, it's, you know, socially acceptable. Everybody brings it to parties. So it's not, you know, all the kids are not, doing it. All the kids right? are doing it. Everybody's doing it. So, um, so that, exactly. So it's really important um, that we get support to do this, but we also have to go deeper and deal with the emotional dependence because without getting tools for dealing with your emotional dependence, you know, just having it out of your system isn't enough because you will go back to it. Yeah. I think, um, my NLP coaches have been so helpful lately because, you know, a coach, one of the great things that they do is they make you realize things about yourself that you don't even realize. Like, I know I'm taking a certain action, but they'll be like, well, have you realized that this action connects here and and there and whatever? 
And so one of the things I do outside of this, um, like FDN stuff, Trisha, is I speak in the mental health space, but not actually about functional medicine per se. Um, I speak mm-hmm. in schools to kids and it's mostly just a motivational mental health story. Now, when you're doing that, I'm sharing some of the hardest moments of my life and not ever really registering that's what I'm doing, right? I'm like, oh, this is just my life. It's like, no, this was emotional and you're getting emotional in the presentation. So um, my coach, Gabriella, helped me realize, well, you're going to this food after these presentations because you never really learned how to process those things properly and you're voluntarily going and sharing it. But then when I asked you about like the physical thing, because this is the problem, I'll trigger it with that. Like summer, I'm good. I chill the hell out, right? Because I'm not really speaking in schools. But the yeah. school thing starts. And now even when it's not a school day, when I'm not like actually speaking in a school, I still have that obsession where I am making plans to go get like my favorite sugary product, right? It's like, I can't wait to get off this podcast to go get this or I can't wait to finish up this work so I can go get that I'll drive 30 minutes out of the way just to get a specific thing that I wanted I'm like okay Ev this sounds a lot like when you were abusing substances my friend you know it's like but it's sugar so you don't think about it the same way so I think um that spectrum thing is super helpful for people I hope that they take that into consideration and use that quiz um and also what I love about what you're doing here is I love things that happen to be perfectly Um, working in alignment with what we do at FDN Thrive. And I think what you're talking about here is either something people should be doing simultaneously or even preceding an FDN Thrive type of program, right? Get that food stuff right. Don't let that be the reason that you're dealing with the chronic health issues, right? Because we can help you here, but that stuff has to be uh, managed a little better beforehand. And so um, I know that you say, you know, you never cured whatever, but you said it's almost been like 30 years now that you've been a relatively normal weight was it 30 years ago already that you started really figuring this out and what your triggers were and how to manage it for yeah yourself? wow yeah I was super blessed um uh in my early 20s to get help and um and to get help to go deeper and deal with the underlying causes so I had a mentor that had been obese and was a spiritual mentor and helped me heal um and then we worked together for many years and then I parted ways and um, with him, we're still friends, but I, I uh, business-wise, um, about five years ago, founded Heal Your Hunger um, to really help people online. Um, I, I codified the whole process. I put it in my book, uh, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. And it's, it's so nice that it is in a step-by-step process because it's very clear cut. You know, I find that oftentimes when it comes to disordered eating, there's advice out there that's a little nebulous. It's not bad advice. It's just nebulous and hard to really put into practical terms like moderation. We talked about moderation. Like, how do you do that? Like, I don't moderate when I eat cookies. (laughs) You know, I want the whole bag. You know, if there's more left, I'm eating them, you know. So moderation and and well-meaning people and coaches and doctors and therapists will suggest moderation, but they don't understand what it's like to be me. You know, they don't understand that I don't have the moderation, you know, lever. Like, I can't do that. Um, once I start, I can't stop. You know, I'm addicted. That's that's one of the nature of it. You know, the telltale signs of addiction. So moderation, intuitive eating. You know, so again, on paper, that's a nice concept. You know, listen to your body, find out what you really want. But if you're an emotional eater and you've got all these crazy emotions that are driving your eating. You know, you can't intuit properly, you know, so I would intuit that I should eat all the time. So I'm constantly thinking, no, I, I think this is what my intuition is saying, but I was really just rationalizing because I had a compulsion to eat, you know. And so when you have a compulsion, which is that gripping need and craving to eat, you can't intuit properly, mm. you know. So intuitive eating, again, it's a nice term, but it's not very actionable when you're an emotional eater. Wow. Another one is mindful eating. Like, yeah, it's a nice idea to be mindful, be present. But when I'm on a binge, I am not present. I am shoveling in food and I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat next. And if it's about to run out, I'm thinking about where I'm going to go get it. And yeah. so it's like I'm not mindful. And so it's it's just a it's a it's a nice term, but it doesn't hold a lot of weight for me, pardon the pun, you know, because I really I really need to go deeper and I need to deal with this compulsion. That compulsion to eat cannot be controlled. So we are constantly dogging ourselves as emotional eaters because we don't have more control. We don't have willpower. 
but we, we don't like, we just don't. And so what we have to do is get underneath that compulsion and deal with it so that compulsion can be lifted. And I'm here to say, you know, I had somebody say to the other day, Trisha, is it true that like, he said, Trisha, at 11 o'clock at night, I'm crawling the walls. I've got to eat. I'm on this super strict plan and I'm doing good all day long. And at night I just, you know, I'm like this hungry tiger. And so it's just really important to know that that compulsion can be backed down. That compulsion can be healed, but you have to get underneath it. You have to deal with the emotional causes. You have to deal with the stress of the day, you know, things that that compulsion is made of. Otherwise, just trying to, you know, it's like trying to stop a wave, you know, go to the ocean, stand there at the edge of the beach and try to stop a wave. It's impossible, you know, and that's how it is when you have that gripping compulsion to eat. And so we, we have to go deeper. I love that you brought up the intuitive eating thing, because I think that was a very kind, but still firm, you know, that's gotten taken too far. And this is coming from someone who's had the privilege of interviewing um, a young woman named Lily, friend of mine. And you know what, guys? Results don't lie. So you can kind of see if it's working for someone. Lily's before and after photos are someone who was clearly starving. She lost. She shares all this publicly. Uh, lost her period, all this stuff. And her version of intuitive eating now is fit. She looks great. She's glowing. She's healthy. That is what she needed, right, for her specific thing. If intuitive eating is leading to severe skin issues or obesity, I, I don't know that the body would ever do that intuitively. I, I'm not an expert, but I would imagine that that's not the case, right? So there, there needs to be a line drawn about when this can and can't be used for people because cravings are not intuition. Um, if we were all like Native Americans still and we could easily identify the difference between our intuitions and emotions or whatever, okay, that's fair, but I, I think... The concept, again, is it's actually perfect, right? If that really is something that you could tap into, it's beautiful. But intuitions are getting confused with other things. And I think that leads to problems for people. So again, the results don't lie. Yeah, no, it's true. And and the truth is that if you clear out the emotional baggage, and I don't mean you have to go to 20 years of therapy because you don't, you know what I mean? Like I make it really clear. Emotional eaters are very, you know, it's, if they if there was a mold made for emotional eaters, you could put us all in the mold and not a hair would hang out, okay? So we're very common in the way we re- re- react to life. And so, um, and again, this is where I take the guesswork out of it. I, I have identified 24 personality traits wow. that make up the emotional eater's personality. And these are the traits that get us into trouble. They have nothing to do with food. You know, I mean, my, my work really has very little to do with food. People know what they're supposed to eat. Like they're not stupid. You know, they know salads are better than pizza or hot dogs, you know, but we still want the, we still want the, you know, the fun foods. And so it's really about, um, dealing with why we can't follow through on the good health advice we know. And this is true for health coaches, especially because, you know, it's the worst position to be in when you're a health coach and you can't do what you suggest people do. You can't walk your talk, you know, and it creates this terrible gap where you're like, oh my God, I feel like a fraud. And that's going to affect your income. You know, that's going to affect how you show up in the world when you're hiding and you've got living this double life. So it's really a big problem when we have all this health knowledge, but knowledge won't fix us. You know, knowing what to eat won't fix us. We have to, you know, be able to follow through on what we know. So when you clear out, you know, when you change the certain things that are trouble spots for us, things like people pleasing, this is the top trait of the anatomy of the emotional eater. I call this the anatomy of the emotional eater. People pleasing is the number one trait that gets us into trouble because as emotional eaters, we typically want validation from outside ourselves more than your average person. Why? Well, typically we didn't grow up with a strong sense of self-esteem. So we're always looking for the atta girls or the atta boys, you know, outside of us. And so we're constantly constantly saying yes, constantly trying to please people with taking on projects, you know, being like super perfect and things that we do. But then that adds all this pressure and stress that we go home and stress eat over. And especially when we're also resentful because nobody's ever as pleased as we plan on them being, right? So we're kind of like, I did all this work and all I got was a thank you. So these are things that are, it's, it, I often say it's a living problem, not an eating problem. So everyone's trying to fix their food, but they need to fix their life. Wow. It's the way we're living that's causing problems. So addressing, you know, these traits is so, so important. And if you do that, 
then you can hear your intuition. If you have a morning like routine of reducing stress, like meditation or prayer or yoga, things that will can help you get connected and centered, then you can tap into your intuition. So they're not mutually exclusive. It's just that intuition in and of itself is you know, skewed when you have the cravings like you were talking about, you know, so you got to do the deeper work and clear away the the problem spots in your life that are causing cravings so that you can tell the difference between a craving and intuition. Right. It, it, um, going back to what you said before, like people aren't stupid, right? They know what to eat. And at the very least, and this pisses off so many people, but I feel like we have a very self-aware audience. This is cool. Every single one of us, myself fully included, knows what we can do, be uh, doing better health-wise right now and finance-wise, right? If I asked you, you could tell me, right? But there's yeah. something that's blocking uh, those actions in both those places. And I use finances too because it's just an essential part of our lives, right? And yet uh, we sit here and not do it. Now, I'm not asking you to give away your secret sauce, nor do we probably have the time considering uh, how clearly in-depth you've studied this to go through all 24 personality traits. But I know that you mentioned number one is people-pleasing. Do you think we yep. can go through like maybe the top like three or four or something like that? You bet. So people-pleasing, no question. Uh, Having a racing mind, big problem for emotional eaters. We overthink everything. As overeaters, we overthink. And so it's like, what did she mean by that? Why are they not talking to me? You know, should I call them back? You know, should I... I don't know what to do. Like, I'm going to... If I do this, it's going to piss those people off if I do this. So we're constantly overthinking everything and that creates all this stress and mind chatter that we want to shut down and that's why we love carbs especially because carbs and that serotonin hit that quiets our mind Mm. so our minds are super busy and they drive us nuts you know they drive us absolutely nuts so overthinking is a problem that's why meditation is so powerful for emotional eaters and that's also why emotional eaters like i can't meditate my mind's too busy well, that's the kind of the point, you know, like that's why we meditate, you know, <laughs> and I just tell people, stop judging it, like sit down, shut up, you know, just light a candle, say a mantra, like whatever can help you slow down. The hardest thing for an emotional leader to do is slow down. We're overdoers. Okay. And we overdo everything and we not only overthink, but we overdo. So are, are always, you know, if you want something done, give it to an emotional leader. We are on the go all the time. Why? Because we're running from ourselves. Like we do not want to catch up to ourselves because we have all kinds of feelings we don't want to feel, you know? But the problem is that's like a hamster wheel that you can't ever stop. And that's why we're exhausted all the time. That's why our adrenals are so often burned out, right? Because we are on the run and we're running from ourselves because we think we're bad and we're afraid to like catch up to ourselves. So there's a lot going on underneath the surface, you know, and, and if people are like, no, I like just like chocolate. I promise you, you know, it's not just that. I like chocolate too, but that is not the crux of the problem, you know. So over overthinking, having an erasing mind, overdoing, caretaking, we're big codependents, okay? We love to take on other people's stuff, okay? So so if somebody's hurting, we're rescuing them. We're rescuing them. We're caretaking them. This often comes from a childhood of dysfunction or alcoholism. You know, oftentimes we've grown up with some kind of trauma, either alcoholic parent, a raging parent, you know, and so we're, we're good at, like, picking up the slack, good at, you know, just being – being the responsible kid, which carries, you know, a, a price tag with it. We don't get to have a childhood, you know, so we're super responsible. And But we do caretake, and it's really hard for us to, because we're people pleasers also, it's hard for us to set boundaries on our time. That's how we get into the overdoing cycle, you know, where we're overdoing and then we're, ta- you know, our adrenals are taxed. So um, these are things that just come innately to us, but oftentimes they do stem from our childhood, um, you know, of trauma, for sure. Um, some other ones, um, we, um, just looking through my book here. There's so many fear I find as emotional eaters. I was a total scaredy cat and I didn't look like it, you know, like I was bold. I did a lot of really courageous things, but underneath, oh my God, I was so afraid of everything. Like life just scared the bejesus out of me. So I would eat like when I ate, I didn't feel the fear. You know, I didn't feel the fear 
Um, and so I could act like I wasn't afraid, but if I wanted to stop overeating, I had to get in touch with that fear and, and find new ways to bring down that anxiety level. Again, why meditation is so powerful, why community is so powerful, because there's power in numbers. So I do all my programs in community because when you're with other emotional eaters, it's easier to have a healthy path. You know, it's easier to take the high road, you know, and do make a healthy choice. And it also brings down our fear. I do my programs, you know, on Zoom. We do it in groups on Zoom. And, oh, the ladies just, they have, they feel so good every time we have a Zoom meeting because the fear comes down. And when you see other, you know, people doing healthy habits, you want to do healthy habits. And, um, it just really, it, it adds to the experience yeah. because that fear, that fear is a boogeyman. I mean, it just talks us, that's where all that rationalizing comes from. Like, oh no, I should eat the, the donut. You know, it comes from the fact that we have this stress, we have this fear and it, it transmutes itself in a craving, but it's not really the craving. It's whatever it is that we're trying to avoid in our life because we have a lot of fear. So those are some of them. This is amazing. Um, there are like a certain podcast or certain interviews that I've done throughout time on a variety of topics. I happen to relate to this one. There's some I don't relate to at all, but there's just some people that really, really know their craft and they're not just out there kind of spitting BS. Um, and I'm not suggesting that anyone on this podcast ever has, but there's a difference between someone who knows their stuff and is like an actual expert. Um, and I feel like when you can just relate so well, it's like, very much expert status. It's cool. Uh, because even like those first two things that you said, I mean, that's not even, it's not like a 50% relation to me. It's like, okay, that's dead on who I am. Uh, and you know, most people wouldn't look at me as a people pleaser until you see my cell phone. And it's just interesting <laughs> for me how all of this is coming up in this coaching. Like you said, because it's not really about the food per se. Um, maybe you develop some kind of physical thing. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's the other stuff that's doing it. And it's like, dude, I just, I'm like, how am I, comparatively speaking and FDN pays me well and other things that I do will pay uh do outside of this pays me well but I'm like you are working so much and there is no way you're making enough compared to these like 14 hour days like you're just adding on stuff for the sake of adding on stuff right um and of course yeah the more stressed out you are then you're going to want food even a normal person would want that let alone someone that's already prone to this um yeah, totally totally relate i think you're just hitting the nail on the head for many people out there and so um you mentioned like ladies and stuff and i i know that again stereotypically i think women are just more open to the idea of emotional eating i think it's across the board um but your programs that you offer and the things that you do is this do you have men in them do you have people that are like me that maybe don't really gain weight particularly easy but they know they have an emotional eating problem like who do you serve i, I primarily serve women but uh in the past year i've started to take on men and um um, and I cool. do it in a, uh, a slightly different way um, with more one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, coaching calls. So it's a small number of men. Um, but yeah. as I get more interest, I will start the same program I have for women. I'll do with men as well. Well, they'll have the community with other men. But the nice thing is, is I have a really clear-cut system that's all um, – it's digitalized in modules. And so people, you know, whether nice. it's men or women, they all relate to the content that I put out for – overcoming emotional eating my step-by-step -step process works for anyone no matter no matter who they are yeah um not to jump points here but you, you said a lot of great things and one of the things i wanted to recognize as well is you're uh, brought up like the serotonin type of thing right and not that there's not more complexity to this and that you don't need more tools but i always found it remarkable um i tried it last year when i was experiencing some of this because i didn't recognize there was no connection for me yet to the food i thought the feelings were leading to the food and like to a degree they were, I, I kind of mean it a little differently than we're talking about today. Like, so I might've said that confusing, but I think you guys know what I mean. The point is I took five HTP thinking that like depression or something was the issue again. And like, I hadn't really dealt with depression in many years. I'm like, I don't, this is kind of weird for me. And the five HTP I would notice would work extraordinarily well. Now, again, there's more to it than that because it didn't work long-term, but it was kind of crazy how quickly that that would diminish the cravings for me and guys don't be stupid right not everyone needs to start taking 5-HTP for some of you guys that might be a terrible idea especially if you're on an SSRI so it's not medical advice but for those that don't know you know 5-HTP does convert to serotonin and stuff and so for some people under certain circumstances yes amino acids can be wonderful things um like I like them in just dealing with mental health clients and stuff like that so I thought that was interesting that you brought that up as well we're like just trying to get that the best that we can and many people don't realize that yeah like a high carbohydrate thing like can actually 
give us that serotonin that we're looking for, but there's got to be a better way of to do course. it. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So cool. I feel like um, you offer many things, so I want to make sure that we have the appropriate amount of time to talk about all this stuff. Because again, I think for what we're doing at FDN Thrive, where we're really breaking down the labs and figuring out what's going on with people from a chronic health issue perspective. Guys, I don't care what chronic health issue it is. If you don't get this stuff at least somewhat under control, it's just not going to happen. So whether it's in conjunction with FDN Thrive or even preceding it, I think if this relates to you, this is definitely a good person to be talking to and working with. So um, again, whether it's book, podcast, all this stuff. I'd love for you to honestly just to shout it all out. And of course, we'll put it in the uh, show notes as well. Great. Yeah. My website is healyourhunger.com. And that's a great way to um, connect with me. You can actually access the book through there's a link for the book. There's a link for my podcast. There's the quiz, the free quiz um, as well. And also a link for my TEDx talk that just came out. Um, that nice, I'm super nice. happy about. And yeah, so, uh, and I'm also on Instagram, Trisha Nelson underscore at the end of Nelson. Um, and I do have a Facebook group called The Secret Sauce to End Emotional Eating Now. Um, but all that you can access through healyourhunger.com. I, I love, there's been so many times throughout this podcast where um, like you're smiling while saying something that to someone could be like, you know, really serious, but I love doing that. I think if we're, you can't be too serious about these topics, right? And like, even with the mental health stuff, like I'll laugh like about a panic attack and someone gives me like, oh my God, you can't say that. It's like, dude, you know, like it, it happened. Let's make the best out of it, right? Um, so I don't, I normally have a signature question on this podcast where it's specifically about health in general, but of course it's, I mean, from my understanding, it's not like you were sitting here dealing with a cancer or some specific autoimmune disease. So I think the final question for today could actually be best um, asked for this specific topic. And so in this case, it would be if we could give Trisha a magic wand and you could get everyone who is out there emotionally eating to do one thing for their emotional eating or stop doing one thing, what is the one thing that you'd get them to do? Oh, there's so many, but I would, I would say, I mean, there's so many things to do and they're hard to do without support. Um, most sure. people with emotional eating want to figure it out on their own because they're embarrassed about it. Um, you could save yourself a lot of time by getting support. So, um, but in terms of a first step, like I will say, if you want to do it on your own, you're like, screw you. I don't want to get support. Um, (laughs) uh, basically slow down, like slow the hell down, like stop going at breakneck speed because you're just making your situation worse. And that's whatever health problem you have, you know, cause everything's connected, you know, stress, kills stress kills and emotional eaters are really stressed out and we're in you know a full flight from ourselves so you got to slow down but but besides slowing down you know having a morning routine uh you know really taking some time to be with yourself to connect with source you know your 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 divine spirit that's going to make a huge difference and give you answers that you need um, but again, reach out for help as well because uh, it's so much easier to do this when you have support. And if you could have figured it out on your own, you probably would have. Um, you know, so there's no shame. We we have no issues. You know, getting a health coach if we've got some kind of health problem, or getting a trainer if we want to get fit. You know, and and have, you know, train for a triathlon or something. But when it comes to eating, we're like, no, I got it. I got it. I'm good. And yet it's the problem we've had the longest. It's the hardest to overcome because it is an addictive habit. And yet you have to eat, you know, and and you probably aren't going to figure it out on your own because you you need you need to take a different tack. Diets will not do it. So don't. So my two top forms of advice are don't diet. Um, slow down and reach out That's for all help. Good. And I, I don't three, normally anyway, comment on those afterwards, but I got to add in. Well, no, because it matters a lot. And it's something that I learned in the last year. I, I generally believe that we all have these subjective, personal, you know, non-negotiables. There's certain things that we will never need coaches for in our life. And then there's other things that we absolutely do. For me, um, like just a random health habit that I have is like, I love catching sunrise, right? I don't need anyone to motivate me for that. I don't need to wake up with someone. In fact, I always do this by myself for the most part, unless I happen to be with my girlfriend that day, then like she'll go out and do it. But like, no, for the last several years, Evan Trance, who does that on his own, um, I don't need someone to convince me to do that. I don't need someone to convince me to listen to like the audios and stuff that I listen to, like personal development stuff. 
almost everything else I benefit from having support or coaching with, right? So you have to have the self-awareness enough. And this is a general life principle. Know what your non-negotiables are that like, yeah, I could be coaching on that, right? Because I'm doing that so well. And then understand for everything else that people at the top of life, they have support for those types of things. And it's not only okay, to me, life's too short. I don't know why I wouldn't hire people um, and have them in my circle to help accelerate me so that I can be the best version of me while I'm here. But that's my opinion Amen. Cool. Trisha, thanks so much for being here today. Such a great conversation, man. I enjoyed talking to Trisha so much. And I hope that this is something that you guys gain just as much value from as I did. I learned a lot. And again, this is something in my own life recently I've been recognizing more and more. And I don't want to act like it's the most extreme thing in the world, but I'm using food as a comforting mechanism for certain things in my life. I'm eating excessive amounts. And yeah, maybe it doesn't affect me weight wise, but it does affect me skin wise. And it just affects me in terms of like, again, the emotions. It sounds, it's almost like a a vicious cycle in that sense, because then I feel guilty. I'm like, why did I just do that? Like I said, I was going to eat this way today. And then I didn't eat that way. Right. And it's kind of interesting how it can come through these phases because there's been times in my life where this just hasn't been a problem at all. And I know Trish and I were talking about in the beginning how it can kind of come in waves. So if this is something that you relate to and something that you think is important, then consider reaching out to Trisha and getting connected with her. I think this is something that's really a positive thing to be doing in conjunction with FDN Thrive. And if you're on that far, far end of the spectrum, perhaps it's something that you prefer uh, pursue even before FDN Thrive, because we will, you know, find some things for you that will require lifestyle changes. And if you're stuck in that addictive mode, it might be hard to make those changes. So use this stuff in conjunction or do it beforehand, whatever you feel like you need to do. But there's, you know, there's very few people that I talk to that have just done such a large amount of the deep work that it just shines, obviously. Um, And I would say that this is the case today. And this isn't a condemnation of anyone else that comes on, right? So many people are pursuing the deep work. It's just the time that she's been doing it. Many people don't have 20, 30 years under their belt of doing a specific thing. I think it's amazing. And maybe I'm being biased because I know how much it benefited me. (laughs) So I have no idea. But if you guys like this just as much as me, then let us know in either the ratings on Apple Podcasts or, I always say this, you can go to Podbean and search for the Health Detective Podcast. Podbean is a podcast platform. And leave us comments there. Yes, it's a smaller podcast platform. I don't think many as many people use it, but it is the place that we host this podcast, so we're able to interact with you there. I read all of the comments. I respond to all of them. So please, let us know if this is something that helped you today, because this was a little bit of a different conversation than we normally have. But with that said, thank you guys so much for listening to yet another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. As always, I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and we've been listening to an interview with Trisha Nelson. We'll talk to you guys again soon, and I'm looking forward to the next interview. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button. 